0: Well, praise the Lord! I right, let's see where we're going to start with this morning. Luke chapter nine. If you want to go ahead and find your place there. Um, last week, didn't we have an awesome service last week? Resurrection Sunday. I, I didn't get a count, but I know we had four or five people come up and make a decision for Christ, and that was so so rewarding uh, to all of us, to me and. Uh, actually I was going to try to get back on the series with Moses today but the Lord I think led me in a different direction so I'm gonna follow the Holy Spirit and preach on what he tells me to preach on I hope nobody has a problem with that I hope hope nobody has a problem with that amen (laughs) once we make a decision for Christ I think it really changes our whole perspective and I, I think I speak for everybody here I hope I do We all desire to do something with our life that matters. I don't want to just go through life and do nothing that really matters, that doesn't make a difference somehow. Um, I want to serve something bigger than myself. And I think that's true about all of us. I think a lot of people have midlife crisis because they can't satisfactorily answer the question of what have I done with my life? I think a lot of people get to a certain place in their life and they look back and they realize a good percentage of their life has passed. And they can't really put their finger on something of real significance that they have done with their life and then they have a crisis because it's how much life do I have in front of me? I know how much is behind me. Uh, And uh, what have I really done with it? And how much time do I have left to really do something that matters? And so they have a crisis. You know, they look at all the things that they've left undone. And so, we should all want to do something that really matters. Something that will last throughout eternity, will have eternal value. Uh, I think the phrase, and i never never get this right, it says, um, All of life soon shall pass, only the things done for Christ will last. And I think that's a very good uh, motto to, to remember, to live by. The things that I do for Jesus is what's going to really last. Uh, but there seems to be an attitude that's just running out of control in society today. And I think to some degree it's crept in the Christian circles. Uh, and it's a narcissistic, self-centered, selfish way of approaching life. Of what is in it for me. Get all you can get. It doesn't matter who you step on, what rungs you have to climb to get to the top just so you get to the top. And uh, you, you see that in the workplace, you know, and you see it in a lot of places. People looking out for, number one, it's it's all about me. You, you, I mean, you just get out in the marketplace and people just got that attitude. They don't care about you. Brother, it's all about moi. Right? And that attitude is everywhere. It's selfish. Well, we don't see that in Scripture. In Luke chapter 9, if you found your place there, verse 23, Jesus is talking and he said to them all, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall find it. For what is a man advantage if he gains the whole world and loses himself or be cast away? Now, if we're going to do something that really matters... There's two things that you need to do. Two things you need to make happen. Number one, you need to become a disciple of Jesus Christ. Number two, you need to make a disciple out of somebody else. Amen. Father, we thank you this morning for your word. Lord, I pray that you just give me the anointing to preach. God, I pray that you anoint the hearer. God, that every one of us, Lord, will tune out the world, tune out every thought. God, we will focus entirely on what the Holy Spirit is saying to us today. God, give us listening ears, God. Turn on the ears of our spirit, God, that we will hear what you have to say, God. And we will take that, God, and commit our life to it. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, Jesus Christ... Uh, was a revolutionary. He changed. I'm talking about the man Jesus. He changed history like no other human being that has ever come onto planet Earth, it's ever been on planet Earth. And um, he changed the whole world. And when we look at how he did that, he didn't lead great armies, he didn't come the way that the Jewish people and the children of Israel expected their Messiah to come. The way he changed the world is the same way you and I are to change the world. One heart at a time. And when you think about it that way, it's not really hard to change the world. You change the world one heart at a time. We are here today as a group, but your life has been changed by someone. How many of you this morning can think, of who a person or several people that was that were really key in you knowing and coming to Jesus Christ. How many of you can think of that person or those people this morning? Someone touched your life and changed your life, and that's the reason you are here as an individual, and we are all here as a as a group. But not only did someone touch your life, you touched the lives of many other people some of those people you will know that you have touched their life but church there's a lot of people you're going to touch that you will never meet in other words if i have an influence on your life and then you go out and touch somebody else's life i may never meet that person but indirectly they are in the kingdom because i influenced your life you see how that works it's kind of like a wildfire. When it starts, if you ever stomp leaves when they're on fire, and the fire bounces over and the leaves over there, catch on fire, and the leaves over there, and, and the wind gets in it, oh my goodness, boy! If a wind gets in the fire, it's going to take off, and little sparks go everywhere, and that fire just spreads. Lives touch other lives, and it's like a wildfire. We're making connections all over the place, and it's spreading. Have you ever seen the map come up, and I think it might be Verizon or something. You see these little lights shooting out every direction, and all of them are just jumbled up, and it looks like spaghetti. Well, that's the way our influence on other people's lives are. How many connections are made from your connection that was made through the connection that got to you? And you see how that works? And sometimes we feel like and i think the devil tries to make us feel like you're not making any difference you're not changing anything what's the point why don't you just give up because i'm not really doing that much but i believe that's not true i believe that we are making a difference now i received a touch through my parents so my mom and dad were christians i was a christian since before i was even born my family was in church and that was because somebody i don't even know who touched the life of my father. It didn't come through his family. His family were not Christians. In fact, my fa- grandfather was a bootlegger. He, he made moonshine on the farm right there in Burkeville, Virginia. And I could tell you stories, and I don't want to slime his name too much. I think before he died, Grandpa Newcomb became a Christian Am I right mom. But the oldest son sent him to buy tobacco seed. They were tobacco farmers, and he came back with sugar and corn with the tobacco seed money, to make moonshine. (laughs) And uh, so my dad came from a family of alcoholics and moonshiners and that, but somebody touched my dad with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he gave his life to Christ, went into the ministry, and touched my life. My mom grew up in church. My grandfather on my mother's side was a godly man, unlike my father's father. And I don't know, now you go back far enough, his grandparents my my great-grandfather was named Razor Dean and they called him Razor Dean because well figure it out he was good with a razor I guess I don't know all I know is Razor Dean chewed a bull's ear he got mad at the bull jumped up on his back and started chewing on his ear he was a mean man and I could tell you stories about that but somewhere along the way somebody got to my grandfather my grandpa Dean and he was a godly man In fact my dad went to preach in a church one time and they didn't know if they were going to let him in or not this was up in cherokee see my mom comes from Cherokee descendant we've actually been into i played with chief Sonuk's grandchildren when i was little and we went to see some of mom's family up there in cherokee dad preached in one of the cherokee churches i sang there as a little boy they sang in the indian tongue and in one of those churches they weren't gonna let my daddy preach and then they found out he was Estes Dean's son. They said, oh, all right, if it's your Estes Dean's son-in-law, you can come preach then. So he was a godly man. Somebody touched his life. So I wonder how many connections were made so that a touch could come to my mom and to my dad and to other people that touched me. Wouldn't it, aren't you going to be excited to get to heaven and see all of how all of that worked? I am, I just, you touch this person's life and they touch that one and there might be multitudes of people that has been affected by your witness and you don't know anything about it. Maybe somebody that's just watching you and they're influenced by your Christian living and it touches them. It may not necessarily be something you say, it may be something you do. Now I wonder how did your life change when somebody touched you? mine changed pretty radically at age 20. i really got on fire for the lord and we used to sing a song says it only takes a spark to get a fire going and soon all those around can warm up to its glowing that's how it is with god's love once you've experienced it it's fresh like spring you want to sing you want to pass it on you know it only takes a spark now if a spark can start wildfire what can a flamethrower do huh What can a flamethrower? If that little spark can get it, man, I want to go through with a flamethrower. I asked somebody this morning, you want to be a spark? Or do you want to be a flamethrower? Brother, I want to be a flamethrower. How about you? And I think if you really sell out for Jesus, you can be a flamethrower. Now, does Jesus really expect that from us? And I believe he does. We're going to look at four men this morning. If you want to turn to Matthew chapter 4. We're going to look at Simon, Peter, his brother Andrew, James, and John for just a minute because I believe these were men that became flamethrowers for the kingdom of God. Matthew chapter 4, verse 12. If you're there, say amen. It says Now, when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he departed to Galilee, and leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelled at Capernaum which is by the sea in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali. Those are two of the tribes of Israel. That it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. Verse 16. The people who sat in darkness have seen great light, and upon those who sat in the regions and shadows of death, light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand i talked about that last week and it's interesting i had an opportunity this week to share a guy said what'd you preach on sunday i said well i preached on missing heaven by 18 inches and i began to share with him and i could see the wheels turning in this guy's eye as he realized i only believe in my head not in my heart because people want to be saved, lacking repentance many times. Verse 18, And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter, and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. So immediately, everybody say immediately. Immediately, they left. immediately left their nets and followed him. <laughs> going on from there he saw two other brothers james the son of zebedee and john his brother in a boat with zebedee their father mending their nets he called them and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him now you got to look at the setting of what's happening here jesus who is a rabbi goes up to two men that actually, if you do a study on this, you'll find out that Simon Peter and Andrew, his brother, and Zebedee and his two sons had a very lucrative, thriving fishing industry. They were fairly well-to-do. They were known by the political officials there in the area because they were fairly well-to-do. It's believed that they actually had a whole fleet of fishing boats. And so basically what Jesus is saying to them is, is leave everything that you have your business and everything and i don't have a place to sleep i don't have a place to lay in my head i don't have a house i don't have anything i got nothing but i want you to come and follow me and they walked away from everything to follow him are you seeing this say amen now last week we talked about in the message missing heaven by 18 inches the misconception of what people believe because they believe in their head but not in their heart and 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 a lot of people in the christian community that believe they're right with god they agree to a set of facts they just give mental ascension to those facts but their hearts never changed and over the years there's actually been geographical concepts of christianity what i mean by that is there was a time, and there's a lot of people that believe because America is a Christian nation, and I believe, and I live in America, I'm a Christian. There was a time that if you lived in England, you were a part of the Church of England, and you were therefore a Christian. Regardless of what had happened in your heart, you believed yourself to be a Christian because you were English. Same thing in Germany. There was a time that if you were in Germany, you were a part of the Lutheran Church. Part of the Reformation of Martin Luther. So that's a misconception. Here's another misconception. Repeating a prayer after me and signing a card will make you a Christian. There's a lot of people come up and they say, repeat this prayer after me. I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. Jesus come into my heart and save me. Jesus coming to my heart and save me and 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 so on and they believe if they recite that prayer they're christian they believe it in their head but never in the heart so it's a misconception another one is that your name is on the membership roll at a church somewhere you came forward and presented to the church i've actually talked to people and they believed that they were christians because they were brought before the church and they were become a member of the church and so it's important that we understand what it means to be born again jesus preached repentance And immediately they followed him and turned away from their life and turned to Jesus. Here's another thing that we do wrong. We put labels on things. We label ourselves as Christians. How many of you call yourself a Christian? All right. Raise your hand real high. Come on. Call yourself a Christian. Well, I do too. I think I'm going to change that though. Because as I did a little bit of study on this... I found out that the Buddhists like to call themselves Buddhists because they believe in Buddha. The Hindus like to call themselves Hindus because they believe in the Hindu gods. Muslims, of course, because they believe in Allah and the prophet Muhammad. And among these, there are devout believers in all of these different places, there are different religious groups. But many of them are just uh, labeled by name only. There's nothing real in their life. But as you look in the scripture, you only find the word Christian mentioned three times. Three times. You find the word disciple mentioned 360 times. You also find the word slave or servant, meaning slave, 124 times. And then I thought about my my honor-bound motorcycle patch that I wear when I ride my bike. It says honor-bound, M.M. Motorcycle Ministry, disciples of Jesus Christ. I like that. What are you? I'm a Christian? No, I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ. Because there's a difference. Jesus changed the world and he called other people to be radically changed. And you have to do that through discipline, through being a disciple. Because Jesus was radical and I think he expects us to be radical. The modern approach to Christianity, though, has taken that radical nature of being a true Christian and it's taken it away. Now, I don't know who said this. It's a, the quote uh, is from an unknown author, but it says, if everyone that claimed to be a Christian would really take up the cross and follow Jesus, the world would be transformed in a month. Now, you think about that. Here in America, 80% of the American population claim to be Christian. 80%. What if 80% of America today became radically on fire for Jesus Christ? The world would be changed in one month. Now, I I believe that's true. This is a statement by M. Scott Pett, who's not even a Christian. He's a psychologist. He said... If a so-called religious belief is not radical, we must suspect that it is then mere superstition. Church, we need to be radical for Jesus. Come on, somebody, How are you hearing me? We need to be radical for Jesus Christ. He said it is a lie if it does not fundamentally transform your very life. If your faith, he says your faith is a lie if it does not significantly change one's e- Economical, political, and social behavior. When I get saved and I get radically on fire for Jesus Christ, the way I do business, my economy should change. I shouldn't be cheating people. I should be doing things honestly. My my political position should change. I can't vote for somebody that supports gay marriage. I can't vote for somebody that supports aborting unborn children. I can't do it. Now, I, I understand that there's corruption in all. I, if you're a politician, you're corrupt. I just believe that. Forgive me if I'm wrong. I'm sure there might be one honest one out there somewhere. But, oh, Lord have mercy. Maybe I stepped off into it then. But Christians, I mean disciples of Christ, ought to be running for political office and don't let it corrupt you when you get there. Is that even a possibility? I better stop. I'm going to go in a rabbit track here i don't need to get on but 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 we need to change amen if i am radically on fire for jesus i'm going to change socially there's some people i'm just not going to hang with now there's some places i'm not going to go and it should fundamentally change the way you lived your life the what i'm getting at this morning is jesus is lord We don't make him Lord. He is the Lord. You either submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ or you don't. It is just that simple. And we're going to be radically on fire for Jesus. Then you will submit to his Lordship. He is the master. And we are his slave. We're not his servant. We are his slave. When you look up that word in the Greek, it's kurios. He is the kurios. It means slave owner. Everywhere you see Lord, it's kurios. He is the kurios. He is the slave owner. And you are the doulos. Meaning slave. You're his slave. The Bible says you're bought with a price. You're not your own. John 13, 13 says... Jesus said this to his disciples, you call me master and Lord, kurios. And you say, well, for so I am. I am a slave owner, he says. You're calling me by the right title. I am a slave owner. You see, they understood that. In the first century, they understood lordship and servitude. I guess that's why I enjoyed Downton Abbey so much, because it kind of got that in a simple way sorted out in my mind what that was really like. When Lord Grantham said something, you just did it because he was the Lord of the of the manor. And if you're a servant, you don't question, you just do it. Because he is the kurios and you are the doulos, the servant, the slave. Now, look in James chapter 1 and what James said. James is the half-brother of Jesus now. he says half-brother, In other words, Joseph was his father. Mary was his mother. Jesus, Mary was his mother. But who was his father? Huh? Come on, are you listening? God was his father. So they're half-brothers. Not only that, but he was the leader of the first church in Jerusalem. (laughs) Pastor of the first church in Jerusalem. But when he writes the book of James, he doesn't say, James, the half-brother of Jesus. James, the pastor of the first church of Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Huh? What is his title? James, a doulos of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. I am a slave, he said, of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the twelve drives which are scattered abroad. Romans chapter 1, verse 1. Paul says, Paul, a bond servant, a slave of Jesus Christ. When he wrote in the book of Philippians, he's writing with Timothy. He says, Paul and Timothy... Slaves or bond servants of Jesus Christ Timothy Paul said the things you've learned from me you go and commit that to faithful men Timothy could have said man. I'm important. I am the district manager. I'm the I'm the sectional leader I'm the whatever but he didn't he said I am a slave to Jesus Christ Peter said in second Peter verse 1 Peter Simon Peter a slave to Jesus Christ In Jude chapter one, Jude was also a half-brother to Jesus. He says, Jude, a slave, a bondservant to Jesus Christ. There was a student under Dr. Rutland. You all hear me talk about Dr. Mark Rutland, a man I greatly admire. He was the president of Southeastern University down in Lakeland, Florida, A.G. Bible University. One of his students came and says, I want to change the world, Dr. Rutland. I want to be a great orator. I want to be a great evangelist. I want to go across the world and preach the gospel. Doctor Rutland says you are setting your sights way too low, son. He said, "Well, what do I need to do to strive? What do I need to strive for?" Doctor Rutland, this is what Doctor Rutland told him: "said You should strive to be a crucified slave of Jesus Christ. That's your goal. That's what you should strive for. Strive to be a crucified slave of Jesus Christ." Now, some people don't like to be called a slave people like to think i am independent i am my own man nobody runs me for many years that was my attitude as a tradesman i was a pipe fitter i was very good at it if i went on a job they didn't treat me right you say well i had a job when i i was looking for a job when i came here and i'll be looking for a job when i leave you ever heard that before uh, I'm not swinging on the gate begging you for a job. Nobody owns me. Nobody runs me. I was an arrogant, cocky, smart aleck prima donna. And I'll admit it. You know, Jesus has worked in my heart and still working. Am I right, Bernie Smith? Bernie back there? Huh? <laughs> He's probably seen some of that attitude. We worked together about five years out there in North Carolina. Oh, man, I was. Good at my trade and I knew I could go get another job. All I'd do is pick up the phone and I had another job, you know. So nobody owns me. I'm independent. I'm my own man. But brother, we we need to get that kind of notion out of our head. Because you, I want you, if you're not listening, you haven't heard anything I've said up to now, I want you to hear this. This is a news flash for you. You will be a slave to someone. Or something you'll be a slave to someone or something Romans chapter 6 verse 12 says therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies that you should obey it in its lust and do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God for sin shall not have dominion over you For you are not under the law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? Certainly not. Do you not know that whom you present yourself slaves to obey, you are the one's slave whom you obey. Whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. You're going to be a slave to something or someone. You'll be a slave to Satan to the flesh, to the world. Some people are a slave to money. Jesus called it. He said, you can't serve two masters. Talking about money. You will love one and hate the other. You despise one and cling to the other. You can't serve both God and mammon. Mammon meaning money. So he said, you're going to be a slave to money. Some people are a slave to their possessions. They, they, They drive these ten gods around with rubber tires on it. You know what I'm talking about? there are ten gods worshiping these gods I say look there goes a truck driving a man huh? some people are slaves to habits huh? I say look there goes a cigarette smoking a man because it owns them are you hearing me it owns them I know what that's like Nicotine is one of the most addictive drugs known to man. Am I right, Pastor Joel? Where's he at? He? Oh, he's not here. Okay. Because he was t- he looked up a, he did a research on that one time and said, your brain actually will, will retask the neurotransmitters in your brain for the sole purpose of craving nicotine. He said people never actually get over craving nicotine but i am an exception to that rule because i can tell you something brother when god touches you he sets you free because in 1980 at an altar at united churches of the trinity on a wednesday night god touched me and just like that the craving that i had for nicotine was gone forever do the math, that's 1980, this is 2015. I got up, I did not want another cigarette. I mean, I, was, I had it so bad, I would have a cue of Levi Garrett in my mouth and smoking a cigarette at the same time. I, I mean, I was hooked, brother. You will be a slave to something or someone. Some people are a slave to peer pressure. They can't say no to their friends even if they know it's wrong. But some of you will be a slave to Jesus Christ. Amen. I'd rather be his slave. Because he's the kindest taskmaster you'll ever have. When you're born again, you belong to Jesus. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 says what? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you. But you have of God and you are not your own. For you were bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. You say, well, can the world look at you and tell that you belong to jesus now just stop a minute and ask yourself that question can the world look at me and tell that i belong to jesus paul said it this way in galatians six seventeen: from henceforth let no man trouble me for i bear in my body the marks of the lord jesus christ The word "marks" there is the Greek word stigmata. And what it means is stigmata. There's this thing going, I think, around through Hollywood. I don't watch horror movies. Never have. But I understand that there's something about the stigmata in horror movies or something that is a a sign that appears on your body. There's some demon something put there. In the Catholic Church, they got this thing where some guy has holes appear in his hand and it's called the stigmata. It's God showing that he is belongs to him with well, the stigmata and they understood this in their day when he said Paul is talking to him he said I bear in my body the stigmata it was a brand that a slave owner would brand his slave with to show that that slave belonged to him that's what the stigmata is it was a mark on their body it was placed there by the slave owner to claim ownership of that slave it's like branding a cow or a horse In the cowboy days. Paul was saying, I have the stigmata. I have the brand of Jesus Christ on my life. See all the beatings that he was beaten with rods and whips. And he said, those aren't scars. They're stigmatas. It's my emblem to show the world that I belong to my master. Jesus, he was proud of those marks. Church, I believe this morning, some of you have some stigmata in your life. There's some things that's happened in your life and you've been faithful to Jesus Christ through it all. And people can see that and they know that and it's the stigmata that shows that you will not give up no matter what because you belong to your master, Jesus Christ. Amen? Boy, that's an that's a amen ground right there. Do y'all need to be amening up in here this morning. He said, well, what about being a friend for Jesus? He said, he's a friend that sticks closer than the brother. He's supposed to be our friend. Adrian Rogers tells a story about an Admiral Nelson. He was a British naval officer. They defeated the French. And the French are supposed to come on board the naval ship, the British ship, and surrender. Well, he wore his sword. And as a part of the surrender, they are supposed to take their sword out and present their sword as an act of, I'm giving up my weapons and I'm surrendering to you. I want to live at peace now. And the British officer uh, standing there, Admiral Nelson and the French officer came up with his sword by his side and stuck his hand out. How many of you know where the handshake began? Way back then. What he's saying is, I am offering myself defenseless to you. This is my hand that I draw my sword with. And if I offer it to you, I'm saying I trust you. I'm making myself vulnerable to you. He stuck his hand out and Admiral Nelson said, First, your sword, then your hand. What he is saying is, once you surrender to me, then we'll talk about being friends. What about Jesus being a friend that sits closer than a brother? First, you surrender to Jesus Christ. Then he'll be your friend. But I'm not so sure he wants to be your friend if you don't surrender to him. Real quick, are you still with me? I'm going to give you an acronym for the word Lord, L-O-R-D. All right, I'm going to go through this quick. L stands for loyalty. Loyalty to Jesus Christ peter and andrew it says when jesus came and called them, said immediately they left their nets and followed him not only that but james and john they left their nets and their father who was raising sand about it he wasn't happy where are you going i got nets to fix we got fish to catch and you're going to follow a rabbi you don't even know get back over here and he was going off jesus called him thunder they were called James and John the sons of thunder because he was having a, an emotional meltdown when his two sons followed Jesus. Are you seeing this? That's why he called them the sons of thunder. It's easy then to understand Matthew ten thirty seven when he says he who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and he who loves sons or daughters more than me is not worthy of me. They were willing to give up everything because they were loyal to him. You see, it's not Jesus and. It's Jesus only. It's not Jesus and something else. It's Jesus only. And a lot of people in the world, here in America, see, we've got these misconceptions that's crept into the church. In other parts of the world, and especially among the Muslims today, when they come to Christ, one of the first things they want to know is when can I be baptized? I heard a story about a a, a mission work in Indonesia. Indonesia has more Muslims per capita than any other place in the world. And they actually had a a mission outreach there and the Muslims were coming to Christ in mass. And so they wanted to know, when can we be baptized? And so they set up a baptismal service the next day and this young lady showed up carrying her suitcase. And and the, the minister I heard talking about this said he was a little alarmed because he didn't know what was in that suitcase. Knowing radical Islam, it could have been a bomb, you know. And so finally she gets baptized and he asked one of the other young ladies, What was the suitcase all about? And he says, When she went home, she told her father that she had become a Christian and that she was going to be baptized. And he said, Well, you can be baptized if you want to. But if you do, you don't belong to this family anymore. You get out and don't you ever come back again. And so she packed her suitcase and she went and she was baptized. You have to be loyal to the Jesus. Are you giving up everything for God? Is he Lord of your life or is he not? Oh, be obedient. Now everybody has their own areas that they have to submit to. Some people are obedient in some areas and a person beside you may not be. I think this is a very personal thing. There's some things you need to do and some things you need to stop doing. That's between you and God. But whatever God is leading you to do, you need to do. Obey Him. Hear His voice. Do what He says. I think the, the goal for every Christian is to find God's will for your life and just do it. Just do it. Um... I like the song, Don Francisco, you already know Don San Francisco, one of my favorite artists, right? He wrote this song, he says, I don't care how many buses you own or the size of your sanctuary. I don't care how steep your steeple is or if it's sitting on a cemetery. I don't care if you've paved your parking lot and put pads upon your pews. What good is a picture-perfect stage if you're missing all the cues? I don't care if you pray for miracles, I don't care if you speak with tongues. I don't care if you said you love me in every song you sung. Uh, I don't care if your sacrifice of praise is loud enough to raise the dead. The thing I need to ask you is have you done the things I've said? Do you love your wife? For her and for your children are you laying down your life? What about the others? Are you living as a servant, a slave? To your sisters and your brothers. Does the poor man have to beg you for a bone? Does the widows and the orphans cry alone? He says, I don't care if your preacher's superpower and your program's always new. What you need is love and hope and men are going to come to you. I don't care if you know the Bible. If it's all just in your head. The thing I need to ask you is, have you done the things I've said? Are you obeying God? Are you hearing me, church? R, rejection. You're loyal, you're obedient, you're going to be rejected. Jesus is Lord, and you will be rejected if you make him Lord of your life. Mark 13, 13, he says, And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but he endures to the end, shall be saved. You see, Jesus is countercultural to the world that we live in. And we're seeing this more today than we've ever seen it before. Brother, they hate Christians around the world. And we're seeing, I mean, it is on the rise. They hate Christians. I mean, you can run out there and say, I'm a demon-possessed lesbian goat worshiper. And the world will say, Woo! That's cool there, dudette. I want to hear what you have to say. But you can go out and say, I'm a born-again child of God, and they'll say, check your free speech at the door. We don't want to hear nothing you got to say. Am I right? Come on, somebody. My wife ran into that down at the game department when she worked down there. She's talking about Christ, and they said, you can't talk about the Lord here. She said, excuse me. (laughs) I didn't check my First Amendment right at the door of this facility when I came in. I have the freedom of speech, and I'm going to talk about Jesus everywhere I go if you don't like it you can leave the room you know our problem is today the churches are trying to make Jesus cool and in attempting to do that we, we have taken the effectiveness of being a Christian of being a disciple out of the church because Jesus said he doesn't need to be cool he is the king and kings don't need to be cool they just need to be obeyed all right and if you serve him you're going to be rejected you just need to represent him like he is. And when you do, I'm going to tell you, when you do, you will be rejected. Well, I've been ostracized in a lot of different circles. You know, not included, not invited. And there's some of them I didn't want them to invite me. If they had invited me, I would have graciously declined. I didn't want to be there anyway. D stands for death. You must die to the what's in it for me. Looking out for number one. It's all about me. Get all that you can get. Luke 9, 23 said to them, he says, if you are going to come after me, you must deny yourself and take up your cross daily. Church, taking up the cross doesn't mean just putting a little gold necklace around your your neck with a cross on. Not just a gold piece of jewelry. What he's saying is, if you're going to follow me, take up the electric chair every day. Every day. Take up the gas chamber. Take up the firing squad every day and follow me, Paul said. I die daily. Church, this is a it's a it's a death walk. I know that sounds morbid, but if we're going to represent Jesus, let's represent him correctly. Amen. In Galatians two twenty says, "I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer that I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me." I crucify myself every single day, he says. I had somebody just recently send me an email. Said that you got a spirit working in your church. The evil spirit. I'm 100% convinced of this. And I, I read part of it and I was like, I'm not going to read any more of this. Because that is a, that is an utter impossibility my bible see I, I know the word too right are you hearing me and it says i give unto you power to tread upon serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy nothing shall by any means hurt you whatsoever things you bind on earth they're going to be bound in heaven or in the realm of the spirit i understand it. i don't know what it means and i pray all the time i bind every spirit in this place that's not of you god it has to leave it has no authority here therefore no spirits operating in this church Except the Holy Spirit. Are you hearing me? What he was getting at is that somebody in your church was mean to me. They treated me like I was dirt. Blah blah blah. Well, that's not an evil spirit working in the church. That's somebody, if that is true, that needs to die to their flesh. You got to be loyal. You got to be obedient. You're going to be rejected, but you got to die to your flesh. We need to be kind one to another. Tender-hearted forgiving one another. Esteem others higher than you do yourself. Fruit of the Spirit is love, it's gentleness, it's goodness. If somebody actually did that, that's not an evil spirit working in the church. It's somebody that needs to die and start doing what Jesus said that we're supposed to do. You've not been in some churches, boy, you, you think there's a spirit working It might be because this side wouldn't talk to that side and this side talking about that side. And oh my goodness, I've seen them almost come to blows, yelling and screaming at each other, use a profanity in the church at each other I was tell somebody the other day mark rutland was invited he said this guy came and says dr rutland our church is torn apart he says we just need a mediator to come and mediate a business meeting he said oh no 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 who made me a judge over thee he said and somehow i don't know how they talked me into it he said when i went in there I said this side wasn't talking to that side. He said the Berlin Wall could have been right down the center aisle, and it wouldn't have looked any different. He said, it was terrible. And after two hours of that, he said, is there anybody in here that knows how we can fix this thing? He said, there was an old gentleman sitting in the back in a wooden chair, there's a wooden floor in there with a the chair leaned back on two legs against the back wall. He said, when I said that, he set that chair down, and he said, boom. He said, I do. He said, let's dynamite the whole thing. He said, brother, I thought that was the word of the Lord. <laughs> sometimes we need to die to our old sinful nature. Not sometimes, all the time, amen. When I'm saying I'm living for the Lord, we, we need to do that. Live for the Lord, not for me. Romans 14, 7 for none of us live to himself. And no one dies to himself. If I live, if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether I live or die, we are the Lord's. Now if you submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, it will be the last legitimate independent decision you will ever make. Because every decision you make after that will be will be saturated in, what does Jesus want me to do here? What does the Word say about this? I'm going to do such and such tomorrow or next week, Lord willing. It's not my will, Lord, but yours be done. George Muller lived in Victorian England. He cared for more than 10,000 orphans. He started a Christian school for the poor children. He educated 120,000 children. There's documented one million answers to prayer in his lifetime. Some kind, somebody came to George Mueller and asked him, What is your secret, George? And this was his answer. There was a day when I died to my opinion, to my preferences, to my taste, and to my will, and to the world. Not caring if the world accepted me or rejected me. I died to the approval and blame even to my own family and friends. And since then, I have only cared about God's approval. That's my secret. Have you sold out to Jesus Christ? We need to crucify the old man. Amen. Some people, they want to accept Jesus as Savior, but not Lord. We hear that in church a lot. I was a young man. I accepted as Savior many years later. He became Lord of my life. And and that is a process, and I think that is true to some degree. But church, if he is going to be your Savior, he will be your Lord. Or he's really not your Savior. That's my take on it. It's like joining the Army or the Navy or the Marine Corps or the Coast Guard or the Air Force and going to the recruiting offices. I want all the benefits. I want all the pay. I want to travel around the world on your nickel. I want you to give me all the education for free, but I'm not going to do anything. I don't want to drill drill a sergeant telling me what to do. I want to get up when I want to get up, and I want to do what I want to do. I don't want to submit to any of that. I just want all the benefits of it. That drill instructor say, I don't think the military is for you. And I think people that try to make Jesus their friend and their Savior, but not their Lord, I think Jesus is saying, this is not for you. The last example, there was a guy named William Borden. Who's ever heard of William Borden? William Borden was the heir of the Borden Dairy Estate. When he graduated from high school in 1904, he was a millionaire. His parents sent him around the world as a graduation gift. And George, as he traveled around the world, God gripped his heart as he saw the condition of the world and the people and their need for Jesus. He came back home and told his parents, I'm going to be a missionary. And they tried everything. He said, You're giving up everything. You've got all this wealth, this business to run. He said, I don't want to run the family business, I want to be a missionary and so he entered into yale university and while he was there he took his bible down and he wrote no reserves in the front of his Bible. i'm not holding anything back there's no reserves it all belongs to you he wrote no reserves his classmate says that he was far ahead of all of us spiritually he had already given his heart fully to christ he we who were his classmates lean, learned to lean on him and found in him a strength that was as solid as a rock just because of his settled purpose in consecration, consecration to Christ. When he got out of Yale and he graduated from Yale, he had all kinds of job offers. He would have been a multimillionaire, but he walked away from all of it and he entered the mission work. And when he left America to go, he was on his way to China. He wrote in his Bible, under no reserves, he wrote, no retreat. On his way to China, he stopped in Cairo, Egypt. And while he was there, he was struck with cerebral meningitis. And the doctors told him, finally said, Mr. Borden, I'm sorry, but there's nothing we can do. Today is probably going to be your last day on this earth. He took his Bible out and he wrote under it, no reserves, no retreat, no regrets. And then he died. Now, some people look at that and say, what a waste. But I thought about that. Who would have ever heard or even taken note of William Borden if he would have just taken over the family business and just become another rich man? in history and followed the family legacy what difference would his life have made but because he gave it all to jesus not only did he receive a reward when he got to the father because he gave it all he forsook like peter and andrew he forsook the nets he forsook everything he forsook his family for the lord how many millions of lives have been touched forever because of what he's done See in my mind, that is a flamethrower, not just a spark. How many lives are you going to touch for Jesus? What are you willing to forsake for Him? I hope you got that this morning. I've hit it from every angle I can think of. We're we'll just stand to your feet this morning. Are you a spark? Or are you a flamethrower? I think to be a flamethrower, you've got to be radical for Jesus. And give it all to Him. Amen? And I wanted to challenge you this morning to do that. I, I don't know where you are this morning in your relationship with Christ. Maybe you're here this morning you've never made a commitment to Christ at all. We had quite a few people last week decided, I want to give my life to Christ, and I want to live my life for him. And um, one brother said, I made the 18-inch connection last Sunday. Didn't even realize that I just believed it in my head. I never really had changed in my heart. And as such, I felt like I wanted to do a follow-up on that and challenge you to take the next step and just lay it all down for Jesus. And i think of it this way if just being a spark can start a wildfire and get a lot of things done for the kingdom of god what would a deliberate effort do if everything that i do centers around what can i do for jesus today what difference is that going to make in the kingdom if everybody that called themselves a christian Would really take up their cross and follow Jesus, the world would be transformed in a month. If everybody in this church that calls himself a Christian would take up their cross and follow him, what difference would it make in our community? Amen. Father, help us, Lord, to hear what you said to us this morning. I have felt the anointing today of the unction of the Spirit to say things that I didn't even prepare for, Lord. I just knew that that was your word. Uh, And Lord, I think when I started out, I did speak for each of us, God. We all want to do something with our life that matters. A lot of people dedicate their life to things that are temporal. They don't matter. They're going to pass away. They're not even going to be remembered in eternity. Because they really don't have eternal value. They really don't matter. But God, I pray that you would just reveal to each person's heart what you intend for their life, what you want them to do. God, I pray that you do that so clearly that there can be no question as to what you're asking of them. Lord, I remember the day in the welding shop right down there off of Midlothian Drive, Lord, when you showed me that everything that I'm working on is temporary it's all going to pass away you changed my heart that day god i redirected my life and started living it with a different purpose because i can remember standing there showing eddie this is all temple i don't want to build this anymore i remember pointing pointing my finger at mike amos the mechanic out in the shop i said i want to build that i want to build the lives and souls of people and lord i've committed my life these 15 years now here at cvag doing that And God, I believe that each of us, Lord, need to make a commitment like that, Lord. As we hear, you direct us, God. That's how you directed me, God. I don't know how you're going to direct each individual here today. But God, I do know that you have a purpose for each person. You have a plan. And in that purpose and plan, God, it is centered around being a disciple for you. Living our life for you. You are our curios, God. You're our master, our slave owner. We are your doulos, God. We are your slave, God, your servant. So, Father, you command us today and we will obey in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, for your glory, God. If you're here this morning and you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior, I don't want to close the service out today without giving you an opportunity to make Jesus the Savior and the Lord of your life. If you're here this morning you say, Pastor, I'm not a Christian, I'm not a disciple of Christ, but I'd like to be today. I want to get my heart to Christ today. Will you pray for me? I want to ask you if you would just lift your hand before we close and I would be glad to pray for you. If you want to get with me after the service and say, uh, "Say, Pastor B, I- i want to i want to come to christ i want to start living my life for the lord i'll be glad to pray for you please don't leave today without making that commitment to the lord with that said i'm going to dismiss you thank you for your attentive listening i pray you heard every word the holy spirit said today take it to heart act on it. father we commit this day and everything that's happened in it thus far to you lord it is recorded in the books for all eternity god I pray that every word has come from your throne, God. It has been accurate, Lord. It has been honoring, glorifying to you. God, it has been uplifting to those that have heard it. I pray now, God, that it will have eternal value, God. It will do something, God. You shoot the arrow, may hit the mark, God. In Jesus' name. Now, Father, as we leave this place, Lord, I pray, God, that you would just watch over the body of Christ. Lord, commission your angels, God, to do warfare in the realm of the spirit over every single person's life. God, may no weapon that the enemy has formed against them prosper. God, we cancel every assignment of Satan over the lives and health and body of the people here, over their finances, God, over their mind. We cancel the their appointment, the assignment of the enemy. In Jesus' name, Father. Father, what we do in place of God, we release your blessing, God, in your favor. Lord, over the lives of your people. Now, Father, we bless this place, God. We bless these people here, God. We bless their home, Father. In your precious name, Jesus. Make it a refuge, God, an escape from the world, Lord. A place where you're honored, a place where you are welcome. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. God bless you, church. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope you are blessed and encouraged by it. Central Virginia Assembly of God is located on 5052 Cross County Road, Mineral, Virginia, 23117. If you would like more information about the church, visit us at centralvag.org or call 804-514-2413. We would love to hear from you. God bless.